This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Good morning to you. This is Mike Smith, and we start today with David Eby. He recently stepped aside as B.C.'s attorney general while he seeks the leadership of the governing NDP, the only candidate for the job. He appears to be on the fast track here to become British Columbia's next premier, and I'm pleased to welcome him back to the show. David Eby, thanks a lot for coming on this morning. Thanks for having me, Mike. Yeah, you bet. Thank you for doing it. Let's go right to the heart of the matter here. Violent crime on the streets of Metro Vancouver and beyond. And we've seen horrifying and deadly violence on the streets this week. Monday's shooting rampage in Langley. A woman set on fire on the streets downtown this week. A brazen daylight gang shooting in the heart of Whistler Village. What do you say to people who are concerned about these trends? Yeah, I mean, these are deeply disturbing incidents. I was talking to someone just yesterday who had a family friend close to the shooting in Whistler, and uh, and it's terrifying for families. I mean, they were taking shelter in the basement of a restaurant uh, trying to get away from it. Uh, and, you know, when we look at uh, gang crime or uh, even just disorder in the downtown east side along Hastings Street and, and encampments and the, the violence that's associated with those kinds of uh, situations that people are forced to live in, uh, obviously, um, there's a great opportunity for government to, uh, to do a couple of things on the gang side to increase our work around uh, money laundering and seizing the assets of these gangs. That's what they're fighting over. They're fighting over turf and profits and reduce the attraction to youth. And in situations of disorder, it's not just on the downtown east side. We have challenges in terrace, uh, in, uh, in trail and other smaller communities on a much smaller scale, but still uh, mental health and addiction treatment, and also uh, making sure that we have places for people to go inside uh, and uh, so that we can give them an alternative to, to being out on the street. Okay, what about keeping people behind bars longer, though? I mean, the two guys we saw arrested this week in the uh, hit on Raputam and Singh Malik were both out on bail. They both got long, long vi- uh, records. We've heard a lot of complaints about people being... R- arrested and then released back onto the streets to commit more crimes. Are you concerned about that? Yeah, it's frustrating for everyone. It's frustrating for Crown Counsel, uh, who, uh, who are the prosecutors in these matters, uh, certainly for British Columbians to see that. Um, the federal government has changed the rules around uh, bail and how it can be used and what the assumptions are in terms of holding someone for trial. Uh, and there are a number of cases out of the Supreme Court of Canada that are uh, binding our judges. And this is federal law that's being implemented yeah. in British Columbia. And so it's a, it's a really serious issue, Mike. And, uh, and so one of the, the challenges is we have to work within our provincial authorities. So as a former deputy chief and an expert in mental health and corrections to look at uh, what we can do, former chief actually, Doug Lepard, um, uh, what we can do within our provincial authorities to address these issues. Okay, well, I want to talk to you in more detail about that because there are a lot of calls for you to do more. The examples here, let me talk, ask you about the release of chronic, prolific, repeat offenders. So th- some of the examples here are shocking for a lot of people. Offenders who are released over and over and over again only to commit more offenses. Let me play a clip here for you, David, of Liberal MLA Shirley Bond describing a situation in her community, and then I'll get your thoughts. Let's listen. In Prince George, 
One individual has generated 262 police files in just the past 12 months. None of the files, not one, has resulted in a charge. David Eby, is that acceptable to you? Well, no, and uh, and one of the challenges we face, Mike, is uh, police are generating files, but we're seeing a significant drop-off in the number of files that are going to Crown Council for approval. And this is one of the questions that I've asked our investigators to look at is why are police uh, not bringing the files forward? Is it because they think they won't be approved? Is it because Crown are, are telling them off the record that they it, It's really hard when we look at the statistics and we hear from police that they're having these interactions with people on the street, and they are serious. They're serious in Prince George. They're serious in, uh, in many communities in the province. Um, why they're not making their way to Crown, uh, and then uh, what Crown is doing with them. This is all uh, what I've asked uh, to be looked at because it's not obvious what's going on. When someone has 262 charges, and then I say to the Crown, okay, well, what's going on with these? And they say, well, we're not getting the files from police on this, so we can't approve what we don't get. Uh, it, it, uh, in my former role as AG, it makes it challenging to know exactly how to move forward on that. So that's the well, gap that we're trying to address. Well, if you don't know, who does? I mean, you've been the Attorney General for many, many years while these trend lines have been going in the wrong direction. The average number of days to conclude a police file up 118 percent. Well, Mike, there was a, the, there was a just global a moment, pandemic. Just a moment. <laughs> Just a moment, please, Mr. Just a moment, Mr. Eby. Let me finish my question. The rate of the rate of no charge assessments in the system up 75 percent. These are files where there are no charges laid. This is all under your watch as AG. Go ahead. Yeah, sure, Mike. I mean, the criminal justice system slowed to a crawl. We had uh, a fraction of a fraction of the criminal trials going forward during the pandemic. This is the period when. Uh, you saw that happening where uh, we uh, it took a lot longer to get to trial because there were trials not happening. And so, you know, to, to have the liberals pick these stats out of the middle of the pandemic and say, oh, this is an indication of a change in government policy. They can't point to a change in policy because there hasn't been a change in policy, but there needs to be to address these new trends coming out of the pandemic. This is not the liberals. These are the mayors of the largest cities in British Columbia who have personally appealed to you because they're sick and tired of seeing this happening on their streets with these repeat offenders being released back into their communities. Not the liberals, it's the mayors. And you can you can ask the mayors when they came to me and said, this is what we're seeing in the community. I said, get the information for me, put it together, tell me what's happening in your community so we can address it. Mike, I, I tell you, it doesn't matter if it's ICBC or money laundering or whatever. The way that I've addressed these problems is to get the details from the experts about what's happening in the community and then implement the fixes. And that's what we're doing. What do you say to the people of Vancouver who have watched incidents of violent, unprovoked, random at- attacks escalate under your watch as AG? The Vancouver Police Department here reporting now an average of four random, unprovoked stranger assaults every single day in the city. We've talked a lot about this issue on this show. Let me play a clip here for you, David, from John Boychuk. He's the owner of Davy Tanning Salon on Davy Street and the mayhem that he puts up with on a daily basis. Here's what he had to say in an earlier show, then I'll get your thoughts. Let's listen. We talk to clients who have been coming to our business for decades that are now saying, I'm not coming in the evenings anymore because I'm terrified to walk down Davy Street. Yeah, and some have even stated, I've had it. I have been in this neighborhood. I have patronized this neighborhood. And it's time for me to get the hell out of this neighborhood because I see it just going straight downhill. David Eby, what do you say to him and to his customers? 
Well, I've seen from the Davy BIA that uh, they're seeing an increase in foot traffic, and that's been a significant improvement, more eyes on the street, and that's been supporting uh, local businesses. I've been working with the DVBIA on these issues as well with Nolan Marshall and uh, identifying ways that we can uh, work on this. And it's not just there, it's also in Chinatown, uh, where the community yeah. is facing a lot of challenge around this. And it's not just Vancouver or British Columbia, it's across North America. We're seeing an uptick in homicides, in violent attacks, and it's incredibly challenging. But we do uh, have tools that we can use provincially, and we just want to be effective in it. And so that's why we're doing the work around how to respond. So in Vernon, for example, we work closely with the city council. We reduced incidents downtown by 50% by coordinating them with supportive housing and police and other responses. And so those are the ways that we can address these issues. And, and I am working with, well, I was before I had resigned to run for leader, I was working with yeah. these, uh, these BIAs on these important issues. You can you continue, though, to face criticism from people who's critics who are saying you're not doing enough. Do you favor stricter bail conditions and consequences for these chronic repeat offenders, the people who are committing these offenses over and over and over again, only to be released back into the community? Should there be tougher bail conditions and tougher consequences for repeat offenders? Well, I think for some of these prolific offenders, Mike, what the issue is is a serious mental health and addiction issue that makes them a danger to the public and to themselves. And I, I think that one of the opportunities for us at the provincial level is to look at using the mental health system in a more effective way. Uh, bail is the rules are set federally and uh, and they are what they are and the courts are implementing them and, and the Crown can appeal them where they can. But uh, but in terms of someone who the, the reason they're shoplifting, just walking into a store, grabbing something and walking out is because they're uh, dealing with a serious addiction, serious mental health issue or brain injury and making sure yeah. that those folks are looked after, including an involuntary care is what we're going to need to do. And and it's just the criminal justice system, even when they get sentenced for shoplifting, something like that, they get 15 days and then they're back out. So yeah. we do need something that works a little better for these folks. Well, instead of, though, kind of just pointing a finger at the feds and saying, well, it is what it is, it's, it's federal jurisdiction, would you not have an opportunity in your previous role as attorney general and if you become the premier to sit down with the prime minister sit down with your counterparts of the federal government and say look this is not acceptable to me this is not acceptable to british columbia bill c75 for example which i'm looking at right now federal bill and its principle of restraint which says there is a principle of restraint for the police and the courts to ensure that offenders are released at the earliest opportunity and that is favored over detention in jail. Do you agree with that? A principle of restraint to release people is, is favorable over keeping them locked up? Well, this is, this is exactly what I'm talking about in terms of the federal rule changes, Mike. And I have communicated that to my federal counterparts, that it's not rolling out in the streets of British Columbia the way that maybe they anticipated it would have. Um, I think, generally speaking, in the criminal justice system, everybody has a right to be presumed innocent uh, before they're proven guilty. But when you're talking about someone who has had multiple uh, offenses and they are released on bail and they immediately violate those conditions, they yeah. need to be detained until their trial for the safety of the public and the reputation of the criminal justice system. And so, you know, when, when I look at this and I look at the federal government and how long it takes to get laws changed and, and their process, uh, it's pretty obvious to me that we need to have provincial responses as well. And, and that's why I say, you know, federally, uh, we're dealing in this context, but provincially, can we use mental health authorities? to respond to people who are clearly ill. I mean, when you, when you have 260 police files, uh, this is not a criminal justice issue. This is a serious mental health issue. And, uh, and we need to respond accordingly, and that is absolutely in provincial jurisdiction.
David Eby, I want to thank you for your time today. Thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me, Mike. Okay, let's keep talking about crime and our justice system. You heard my interview there with David Eby, and we talked about the problems with chronic repeat offenders on the streets. These are the offenders who continue to reoffend over and over and over again, only to be released back into the streets. Uh, let's get the other side of it now. My guest is Eleanor Sturko, former RCMP officer, and she is now the BC Liberal candidate in the upcoming Surrey South by-election. Eleanor, thank you for coming on. Good morning, Mike. You had me on the edge of my seat there with your last interview with David Eby. Well, what did you th- what did you think about what he said? We've only sadly we've only got 3 minutes here. Go ahead. Oh gosh, you know, extremely frustrating because we're talking about a government that's in its second term. They've been in power for over half a decade now and you know, all I hear from David Eby is what we should do, what we could do and never what we have done. So, you know, yes, Bill C-75 certainly put um, some changes into what is the preference. The default is where possible to put people out of custody as soon as possible. But that doesn't preclude the BC Prosecution Service, who does work very hard, and I am proud of their work, but from seeking custody and making arguments to keep people who are posing a serious risk to the public um, in custody. And the funny part was there when I was listening, I heard David Eby himself say that these are people who pose a risk of danger. They pose a danger to the public. And yet we're seeing people time and time again released. So, you know, it's not surprising to me that I continue to hear people are extremely frustrated. They're fearful and they're beginning to lose confidence in our justice system. They don't believe that, you know, whether the police pick someone up or not, it's going to make any difference at all. Yeah, and we also heard him say there that there have been problems caused by the pandemic for backlogs in the justice system, and maybe this is the reason why there have been, there's been a 118% increase in delays to conclude a file. Uh, the rate of no charges going forward is up dramatically. I mean, are you buying that? That's because of the pandemic? No, I don't buy it at all. Like, you know, certainly we had um, changes to crime patterns. We had changes to a lot of things during the pandemic. But, you know, this rate of no charge assessments increasing by 75 percent during 2020 and 2021, that comes from their own B.C. Prosecution Service annual report. It has a lot to do with the marching orders provided by Attorney General David Eby. And you know what? Yes, there's we have to look at ways in which we strengthen the presumption of innocence and allow people who are um, you know, accused of crimes to have the benefit of the doubt in our community. But when we are talking about people that do pose a danger, and when we are talking about bringing our justice system into disrepute, we have to make sure that we're providing instruction and resources to our Crown prosecutors to make sure that they can make arguments where appropriate to keep people who pose a significant risk in custody. Yeah, you heard David Eby say there that a lot of this is down to federal jurisdiction. And as he said to me, well, it it is what it is. Uh, What would you think would be a better way? Like, do you think that if he becomes premier, he should be sitting down with the prime minister and saying, look, look, this is unacceptable to British Columbia and the violent crime we're seeing on the streets. We don't want these prolific offenders continuing continually released back into the public. 30 seconds here, Eleanor. Well, absolutely. I think that's the case. But I also don't buy that there's nothing that we can do currently. You know, there are ways in which he could be providing instruction um, for the overall tone. Of course, he doesn't look into individual cases, nor should he. But there are things and he could be reviewing the prosecution service charge assessment and disclosure policies. There's things we could be doing now, including 
um, addressing those mental health and addictions issues, which are a health care issue and shouldn't be the burden on our justice system. Thank you for your time today. Thank you. All right. Let's talk about another record-setting heat wave that is broiling British Columbia right now. Record temperatures recorded in many cities across the province once again yesterday, including in Lytton, of course, ravaged by wildfire last year. It's blazing hot there again, 42 degrees uh, recorded yesterday there in Lytton. Records tumbling all across BC. Heat wave, Vancouver, Bella Bella, Fort St. John, Nelson, Pemberton. Long list of communities recording record high heat. Those heat warnings and advisories are in place for much of the province as the heat wave continues to bake BC. All right, people trying to find relief. What if you live in a condo? What if you'd like to get some air conditioning going in your condo? A lot of strata rules are against that. Check out this tweet that went viral here this week from a woman named Paige DeWolf. So she writes on Twitter, my mother owns her condo, but strata regulations prevent her from installing an air conditioner that vents outside. She's on the fourth floor. The suite regularly overheats. Why are stratas in BC allowed to have rules that favor aesthetics over safety? Let's discuss this now with my guest, Tony G. Aventu, Executive Director of Condo and Homeowners Association of BC. And I'm pleased to welcome him back to the show. Hey, Tony, thanks for coming on today. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me, Mike. Hey, Tony, I know you're here. Interesting topic, eh? Oh, for sure. And I know you hear about this a lot, right? From condo owners who say it's boiling hot in their suite. They'd like to put in, let's say, a window air conditioner, but the strata rules are against it. How common is that? Uh, Actually, it's it's fairly common, but it's not as much about aesthetics as it is about building damage. Because, you know, as, as you remember, we went through a huge wave of leaky condos. And so, you know, we have a community that's incredibly cautious about allowing things that are attached to the building or penetrate the outside of the buildings or that make alterations to windows that frequently end up in disasters for people. It's certainly possible to install heat pumps or air conditioners in aesthetically acceptable ways and to install them um, so that they're safe for the building envelope. But it takes quite a lot of care and detail to do that right. And that's, that's one of the challenges is that a lot of the suppliers we have um, don't necessarily look at what the implications might be when they're doing installations. Okay, but, you know, we're in a situation where these these heat waves are becoming more po- more problematic and common. Of course, last year we had the deadly heat dome, more than 800 deaths investigated by the coroner's service. I mean, at some point, I, I get your point about leaky condos, you know, and there's concerns about leaks into a suite if you put an air conditioner in your window. But, man, man people are dying. Yeah, and, and you know, really, the, we have this expectation that in the wintertime we're going to have heat for survival and there's going to be a minimum heat level. Uh, we need to change our culture so that we have the same expectation in the summer with respect to overheating um, and that we can expect cooling. You know, one of the challenges we have in B.C., is very, very few of the buildings actually have cooling systems. Um, very few condo units had um, individual heat pumps installed in them so that you could have heating in the winter and cooling in the summer. 
Uh, if you look at a lot of the buildings, like, um, you know, this fourth floor, con- this fourth floor unit on a condo building is a great example. All of these units in these buildings have makeup air systems. So they provide fresh air and hallway pressurization. Um, it helps to reduce um, things like CO2 exhaust from the um, garage from going up elevator shafts. One of the problems with the circulation systems is they're basically pumping hot air off of a rooftop into the buildings. So they're overheating the building substantially. And, and without even having to have air conditioners in units, um, strata corporations can actually do something quite substantial by converting these makeup air systems into heat pumps. So they're actually yeah. pumping cold or cool air into the buildings. And it really does quite a lot to, re- to reduce the ambient temperature of buildings. And it's also um, a CO2 um, emission reduction because it's no longer using gas in the wintertime to heat that air. Um, okay. it's, it's a really good step forward for the collective yeah. community. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I think for a lot of people who are living in a condo right now and are maybe sweltering through a heat wave, uh, that would sound like a great idea. But of course, it takes time. It takes money, right? And how do you do that? Like, let's say someone's listening right now. They own a condo. They're living in a condo. They're thinking, okay, how can I get this done in, in my strata? You know, I'd love to get some air conditioning in my suite. How do I make this happen? Do you have any uh, thoughts on that? Yeah, well, I'll tell you, with um, split-face units and heat pumps right now, the demand is so high and the back order is so long that even if yeah. they wanted to order one today, it's pretty unlikely to happen that they're going to get one installed this summer. Um, you know, Strat- um, my, my encouragement is Strata Council, get, talk to one of the consultants um, who can look at your building quickly and give you really good guidelines on where and how to install air conditioners or heat pumps um, with it for, for individual units. It's possible for a lot of units. Um, the other side of this um, that's kind of interesting that we're starting to have to address, we're looking at a lot of upgrades to buildings for electrical demand um, because we're introducing electric vehicles, but we're also introducing all these heat pumps, which are electrical, and buildings are yeah. now having to go through electrical upgrades because they don't have sufficient capacity in the buildings to meet this. It's a, you know... A, it, there, there isn't an easy, quick solution unless you have a, one of the floor-mounted um, air conditioners that you can just stick a vent in a window. There isn't really a quick, easy solution here. But you know, as Strata Council, plan for the future. Um, there are grants available for, through government, through local governments. Um, look at changing your rooftop systems into heat pumps so that you can get cooling. Um, it it yeah. makes a difference it, within the buildings. Makes a difference of about ten degrees. It's a huge, huge game changer for most of these buildings. Speaking to Tony G. Aventu, Condo and Homeowners Association of BC. So that that was interesting what you just said, Tony, about a a floor mounted air conditioning unit, and that would still vent out through a window. Though is that correct? Yeah, you'd open a window and it'll replace. It'll oftentimes replace the screen, but it, but it won't. Mm. Um, uh, but it won't be um, an external mounted system or a system mounted in the window. It's just a matter of a venting system at a window screen. Uh, I I can't imagine a strata corporation is going to prohibit those. You generally don't see them. You don't hear them. And and they provide at least enough cooling in a single room so um, so that it really is healthy and comfortable. I know that you have received a lot of questions from condo dwellers on this topic especially over the window mounted ac units and the controversy there and as you said it's common for a lot of stratas to say no that's not allowed 
But when we're living in an era of record high heat every summer, hundreds of deaths last year from the heat dome, is there any way that a strata council's rules can be changed to allow window-mounted air conditioning units? Oh, absolutely. And, and you know, we're kind of stuck with the stigma of those old window-mounted systems that kind of ran and sounded like a tractor running. Um, so people were, you know, are uptight about noise and damage. The newer systems are quite small, quite efficient, provide a really great um, level of cooling within a unit, don't take as much power by far. Um, you know, it's and, and the other side of this, the rules can change. But from a health perspective, um, you know, if you have somebody with a medical condition that requires cooling and the strata says, no, they're going to file a human rights complaint. Um, and that's probably from a medical capacity of accommodation. They have really good grounds to file that complaint. Yeah. Talking about staying cool in your condo with another record heat wave, my guest, Tony G. Aventu, BC Condo and Homeowners Association. Lots of calls to him. Jim in Port Moody. Hi, Jim. Go ahead. Hey, Mike and Tony. Uh, I'm the president of our strata in Port Moody, and we passed a resolution last March to allow uh, homeowners and condo owners to install mini splits into their uh, condos. I uh, Personally, I, I was the first one in our building. I had mine installed a week ago, so it uh, took a while. We had to get have a person come for a site visit. Uh, the city, uh, we had to go to the building permit from the city, and uh, it's really crucial that uh, the people use uh, contractors that are accredited to install these devices. We can't okay, have I- do-it-yourself because that will give, give it the whole thing a, a really bad experience. Jim, I'm glad you called in. A mini-split air conditioning unit, can you describe that? Like, how does it work? How- pump it's got a, a in, inside a device in our living room and then the compressor is outside and these things are super quiet uh there was all kinds of concerns from some of our owners that these things would be too noisy when yeah. we had it installed and we had it running i had to go outside to see the blades turning on the compressor to make sure it was working this thing is super quiet they're super efficient and they use a lot less energy than the portable uh, ACs where you see the hoses hanging out the windows. Yeah. Okay, Jim, thank you for calling in on that. Tony, your thoughts? Oh, no, the uh, mini-split systems, if you have um, a good installation and if they're installed in places where there's an overhang, so a balcony above or a roof line above, so that you're not concerned about long-term um, building envelope issues, they're certainly the answer for a lot of people in units. And, and like I said earlier, um, the technology has changed so much that systems now are much more efficient, they're quiet, they take a lot less energy. Visually, they can be installed that they're, they're quite aesthetic and quite attractive. Uh, it, it, the technology has changed a lot, so it's, it's time yeah. for the culture of strata corporations to change too. Yeah, well, that sounds great, but a lot of strata bylaws right now, would they be not allowed? Not necessarily, because really what an owner is asking for is an alteration to common property to install these. And so really, you know, Strata Council, um, have a meeting, talk to a consultant to give you very good specs, 
set guidelines on who's going to be permitted to be the installers. Like, you know, like Jim said, it has to be somebody competent and, re- and reputable because we, yeah. we've had a few disasters, but uh, compared to that, we've had a lot of really great successes. Uh, the availability of the units is the biggest challenge right now um, and affordability. They're, it's not necessarily a cheap venture to, to get them installed either. Okay. Don on the line in Vancouver. Hi, Don. Go ahead. Hi, yeah, good morning. Uh, the last 20 years, I've been in the solar control window film business, and I deal with a lot of stratas. And I have products that reduce solar heat by 60 to 70%, but stratas will not accept them because it changes the look of the glass. And they want that beautiful, uniform look. They won't, don't want the glass to be any darker or any more reflective. I definitely have products that block up to 70% of solar heat, but once again, stratas just won't accept them. So the best I can do is a clear film that blocks out 20% of heat, which doesn't solve people's problems. I definitely have a product that would solve their problem, but Stratus just turn it down. Okay, it's very interesting. Tony, your thoughts? Yeah, the aesthetics of appearance um, is oftentimes... The only thing that a strategic council looks at compared to what the efficiencies are, and um, the I think the challenge isn't as much as um, appearance, light or dark. It's consistency. Uh, if every unit was done and we had the same consistent appearance throughout, uh, then the uniformity is what strata corporations are really looking for. Yeah. Uh, keep calling me on uh, con- your condo questions, Strata Bylaw Rules, 604-280-9898 is the number. Star 9898 on your cell. Scott in Abbotsford. Hi, Scott. Oh, good morning, Mike. Uh, morning, Hi. Tony. Good yes, morning. Go uh, ahead. I, I'm, in, I'm in Abbotsford. I've been here for many, many years. I've managed apartment buildings. I've chaired Strata Corporations and things like that. Currently, I'm living in, a, uh, in, a, in an apartment building. I found that many, many years ago that it was most acceptable to everybody's interest to use these small standalone air conditioners that comes in kits that you can install. And I say install, I mean place next to a window. And the kit allows you to put your venting up into a window, whether it slides sideways or up and down, and to vent to the outside without screwing anything, no gluing, the kits come with foam so it can be sealed off nice and tight with the window closed. We put foam pads under our air conditioners, our standalone air conditioners, and it, it, it avoids any vibration or noise to disturb anybody else. We've in, encouraged other people in stratas and condos that we've been in before to use this kind of thing, and the strata corporations were quickly uh, agreeable to help to uh, implement these kinds of things. And we've had a number of different examples and photographs. And I even went so far as to go around in people's units and to show them how it would work or bring them into my okay. unit to show them how to work. It's, okay. it's great. Thank you, Scott, for sharing that. Uh, these are the, these are the uh, floor units you were referencing earlier, correct, Tony? That's right. They, yeah. They're the standalones, and they'll come with a grill that will that's adjustable to fit into the to the open window cavity. And you know, and like Scott said, they're they're easily sealed. The appearance is fairly innocuous. You don't have hoses hanging out of a window, uh, and you know the other benefit of them is it doesn't take a retrofit of the building. They do take quite a lot of power, though. They're mm. they're not as efficient as a small split faced um, heat pump system, okay. um, but but in, in in exchange or in lieu of any other option. They're, they're a great option for a lot of people. Larry and Courtney. Larry, you got 30 seconds here. Go ahead. 
Larry. Twenty-five years ago, and uh, they've they've uh, switched it over to no barbecues allowed on the patio. Is there any way to rectify that? No barbecue rules, Tony. You got we have thirty seconds here. Go ahead. Well, no barbecues um, is certainly a bylaw that many strata corporations have. And if we have air conditioning systems and heat pumps on the exterior that are drawing air in, barbecues are actually a bit of a toxic combination because they're going to be drawing in the exhaust from the barbecues. Uh, they also do damage to buildings um, over the long-term period. So, you know, it, depending on the, the location, I'd recommend a community barbecue for strata corporations to use. Tony, thank you for coming on today. The sound of the drum circle in uh, BC, Vancouver's parks. Have a listen to that. Uh, this is what, one of the drum circles, one of the big drum circles that takes place every week is Tuesday nights at Third Beach. That's when every Tuesday, especially when the weather gets nicer like we got right now, you get hundreds of people show up for these drum circle kind of spontaneous unsanctioned unpermitted parties basically going on tuesday nights at third beach and this is causing problems in the city of vancouver right now the vancouver park board confirming that they are pulling their lifeguards out of there on tuesday nights at third beach because of the harassment that lifeguards are receiving from people who show up for the weekly drum circle. Check this out. A person was pulled from the water unconscious on July 12th. This happened during the weekly drum circle. Lifeguards attended to this person in distress and was performing first aid. But then they say that lifeguards reported they were obstructed and harassed by individuals in the crowd at this drum circle. They said they were physically and verbally harassed as lifeguards tried to save this person's life. As a result, the parks board are pulling their lifeguards out of there. They say on Tuesday nights now at Third Beach, starting at 7 p.m., the lifeguards will go off duty. If you want to swim with a lifeguard on patrol, they advise you to go to another beach. Is this the correct response from this parks board here? You've got a problem with people with an unsanctioned event on the beach, so you just surrender the beach? I mean, you just pull your lifeguards out of there? Let's discuss this issue now with my guest, John Cooper, Vancouver Park Board Commissioner. He's running for mayor this fall. John, thank you for coming on. Oh, thanks for having me, Mike. Okay, John, what do you think of this decision by the Parks Board to pull the lifeguards off duty here? Do you agree with us? Well, the first thing I'd like to say is, you know, our lifeguards do tremendous work, and they're great ambassadors for the city, and their job is to keep people safe. And uh, But I think we have a duty to keep our lifeguards safe. And uh, obviously, they didn't feel safe in that situation. That's quite a horrendous situation for them to be in. I think this is really part of sort of an overall situation in the city where, where there's sort of a culture of anything goes, and um, I, I think it goes higher than Parkport, actually. I think it's our President Mayor Kennedy Stewart has spent the three and a half years of his term throwing the BPD under the bus at every opportunity, 
and trying to cut their funding, in fact. And so they had to go to the province to get their funding back. You know, they have huge uh, issues across the city that they're dealing with. Um, you know, 800 protests a year. This is unprecedented. We've got gang uh, gang shootings. We've got tents along Hastings Street. I mean, they're stretched uh, beyond belief. And so, you know, I see the situation happening. And, and certainly I don't believe we should surrender the beach at all. I mean, people regular law-abiding citizens have the right to have access to their beaches and their parks uh, when those facilities are open. And and, uh, I think this is just part of the general decline we're seeing across the city. Yeah, I also find it rather appalling that anyone would harass a lifeguard on duty, especially when someone is in distress in the water. I mean, this this is astonishing to me. Like, why would anyone try to obstruct or harass a lifeguard, especially when someone is in trouble. Like, I just find that extraordinary. And this this drum circle, like, you know, I mean, you tell me, John, but isn't the drum circle supposed to be kind of like a peace and love kind of be-in for people? I mean, why would anyone participating in a, 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 a peaceful event, supposedly, then turn around and hassle well, a, life, a lifeguard? I don't get that. Well, we're, but we're seeing that with our first responders as well across the city. We're seeing it with our police officers. Assaults are up on police officers. You know, first responders in the downtown east side are harassed as well. It's just that, you know, we're getting away from what Vancouver is known for, for being a beautiful city and a safe city, and it doesn't feel that way. And more and more residents are, are saying to me, you know, we need a mayor to stand up and say, you know, enough is enough. We need to support our first responders. We need to support the VPD, and it may be that we need to increase some of the funding to them so they have the ability to get to these situations across our city. And we need a plan. I mean, I think that the first step should have been uh, some kind of control in terms of uh, the parking lot there at Third Beach. We know this is happening on a Tuesday night. Um, We know know, it's not a permanent event. You know, we need to take some steps. We need to to be preventative and be, be ahead of the game. This is just, this is outrageous to me. Okay. What? Are, what? Do, so you? What do we lose so, you th- so you think the police should be deployed down there, like the Vancouver Park Board? I'm looking at the the statement that they issued this morning on this situation. They say they're pulled. They've pulled the lifeguards out of there on Tuesday nights on Third Beach because this drum circle has grown so large. They say that when this incident happened, where lifeguards were being harassed, there were four thousand people down there at this drum right. circle. So how are the police supposed to deal with that? Well, I think they know what's happening every Tuesday night. You're going to have to, you know, you're going to have to put preventative measures in there and not allow that larger group to congregate in that area when we know this kind of behavior is happening. I mean, it's common sense to say um, it's building every week. We're going to have a situation where we're going to have a, you know, we've already had this incident that you incident you mentioned, but it could have been more serious than that. That it, you know, that individual. Um, uh, luckily, he was the lifeguards were there. But uh, what about next week when the lifeguards aren't there? I mean, this is this is the kind of thing that you know. Would we give up? You know, we've it already see, appears like we've given up the uh, Hastings Street. Took a fire, the fire chief's order to actually try and get some action happening down there. We had the city manager who is you know works for the mayor uh, apologizing for for cleaning up Hastings. You're trying to clean up Hastings Street, trying to keep it yeah. so that people could walk on the street. And clean, and we apologize. I mean, that to me is just shows you that we're just we're just heading down a hill that we don't want to go down. Um, it's 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 
really un- unconscionable, I think, you know, and, um, the, the, you know, those folks in those tents, many of them ha- have housing or, and are using those tents for what is in fact criminal behavior. I, I walked down there the other day and there's, there's chop shops going on in there. There's all kinds of things going on in there. And it's the same, you know, it's the same kind of trend that we're seeing. I mean, I, I think third beach is like a warning light flashing at us to say, look, at some point you have to say, uh, we need to follow the rules and, and everybody needs to, to be respectful of each other and, and going after lifeguards. I mean, that's just, these are, you know, these, these are yeah. folks that are well-trained and they're trying to look after people and, uh, you know, enough is enough. Speaking of John Cooper, Vancouver Park Board Commissioner, and he's challenging Kennedy Stewart to be mayor of Vancouver this fall, running for the NPA. And we're talking about the situation on Third Beach with the weekly drum circle and the park board decision to pull lifeguards off duty there because they've been threatened and harassed by people at this drum circle on Tuesday night. Like, okay, let me just go back to this decision by the park board. So, John, you you believe this is the right decision in the interest of the safety of these lifeguards to pull them off duty at this beach because of this drum circle. It seems to me that if you have a lot of people down in that beach, probably drinking and and, uh, consumption of drugs going on, that that's the time when you probably should have a lifeguard on duty there in case someone gets in trouble in the water. Well, I agree. I agree with that. And this was not a decision by the park board. This is an operational decision by the general manager, as is as would normally happen. But, but you I'm agree. But you is, agree with it, though. You know, you can't have. You cannot have. You can't put your employees at risk in that kind of a situation. Yeah. You need to have a plan, and you need to work with other departments of the city, whether it be the the, the VPD or bylaw enforcement or parking enforcement or whatever it might be, traffic. You need to come up with a comprehensive plan to say, look. This is an unsanctioned event. We're not going to, you know, we're not going to let it happen, or we're going to make it a lot smaller, and we're going to make sure that people are safe on our beaches. You know, we just had the celebration of light with millions of people, but there was a plan. You know, the the VPD was deployed, the beach patrol was deployed, traffic was deployed. There was a plan. Generally, people are will behave if there's, you know, there's some things in place to make them understand that there are certain mm-hmm. rules and regulations you have to follow. You can't just say, yeah, well, you know, we've got 4,000 people down there. We're good with two lifeguards in the middle and, you know, have a nice, have a nice evening. That's not, <laughs> we can't put our employees at risk. And I, so I support it from that point of view. I don't support yeah. the overall thinking that we're just going to let this, let these people take over a beach and that's all that's going to happen. That, okay. And there's no consequences. Well, I'm Those taking people a- who obstructed should have been charged. I'm sorry. Right. I'm taking a look at more closely at the statement that's been issued by the Park Board on this point. So it says the Vancouver Park Board is meeting with the Vancouver Police Department to establish a coordinated approach and a long-term strategy to manage large crowds and associated bylaw infractions. I mean, do you see any evidence that that's, that's happening, that there is a, 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 a plan being well, developed it here? It's- it, it should have happened before now because these these have been going on for weeks. It's been building, and it only took a situation where one of our employees was put at risk for action to happen. So I, I think it should have happened sooner. You know, and uh, you know I'm glad to hear it's happening, but I'd like to know you know what is the plan and uh, how quickly are we going to have a plan for next Tuesday? I guess that's the question, and I don't know the answer to that at this point, Mike. You mentioned, just lastly, you mentioned that the Vancouver police are already under a lot of pressure and stretched thin on the streets of Vancouver. We've seen a lot of violent crime here in Metro the last 
few days and in Vancouver proper. Do you think the police department needs a budget lift? We need more police officers? Well, it appears that way. I mean, we saw, you know, the, the budget that was put forward, uh, the mayor tried to cut it uh, last year. It was overturned by the uh, province based on the requirements that uh, the police need to keep public safety. But I think we need to have a look at that. We have an unprecedented amount of protests, 800 across the city, and, and these require a lot of resources. We've had, um, you know, we've had a num- almost four stranger attacks a day in the city yeah. that's unprecedented you know we've got these uh, large um you know uh, encampments along major streets i mean this is uh, they have a lot of work on their hands and they i believe that adam palmer and his team do a great job and they're very professional and they're very progressive and uh, uh you know i think we need to we need to support them i mean to return the mayor just to you know spending seven hundred thousand dollars to sue big oil um i would have you know, I think that could be better spent on public safety across our city. And that's just part of it. But that's John, a trend we're seeing, and it needs to stop. John Cooper, thank you for your time today. Thank you very much.